City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Okay, City Limits today, and we've got a little bit of an interesting setup here. I'm in the studio, and we've got Kevin calling in, um, and it's our last show for the year. So, Kevin, can you hear me? Oh, Zeb, I can hear you. Yes, indeed, I can. Splendid. Um, <laughs> and, um, yes, it is our last show for the year. We should apologise for last week, by the way, because we did a replay at the last minute, but... Um, Unfortunately, I'm home today again because I've come down with, well, I'll tell people I've come down with shingles of all bloody things. Um, and uh, with shingles, by the way, whenever you say to someone you've got shingles, they say, my God, that's painful as if you need to be told, Zeb. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, anyway, dear. we, at the last minute last week, we had to withdraw the program because we, um, we just couldn't get it together because of, because of this. So, um, apologize for last week, but this week we're at least on air and, uh, I'm operating out of home again, yeah. Yeah, and thanks for coming on despite the <laughs> despite the pain, Kevin. <laughs> Look, well, what I should do, though, since I, don't, I suppose seeing this is our last city limits, let's do this for a start. Hang on. There we are. Did you hear that? I did. Pouring oh, of the tea. Lovely. And you didn't get one this morning, unfortunately, because I'm not there. Oh, yeah, dear. I did get a glass of water, though, so oh, I'm very sufficiently hydrated. Com- <laughs> very ordinary compared to this tea, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> okay, and it's housing day today, is it? And we've got, um, I think we've got about three guests, haven't we, in the course of the program? Yes, we do. So, first off, we've got Shane McGrath from Housing for the Age Action Group. Uh, and then after that, we've got both Jessica Harrison and Jack Verdens uh, talking together. Uh, so we've, we'll have housing from a number of different angles to talk about today. Right, yeah. And we spoke to Jessica, of course, I think on our last housing day, talking about an upcoming meeting they had at Wontaggy about, uh, about public housing in the area with money that's been allocated to the local shire. They wanted to get you know, lots of public housing for Wontaggy. And I know Jack and... Jack and, and um, and Catherine, who also comes on this program regularly, went down and uh, am a part of going down to support that meeting. So we're going to get a report back on what's happened since then and what's happening to public housing down in down in Gippsland. Yep. Excellent, eh? Excellent, eh? Um, Kevin, do you have any news to start us off? Oh, do I what? <laughs> um, the, <laughs> look, one, one a couple of weeks ago, it was in the Saturday Age, but it was a review of a book. Um, that's um, called Harlem Nights, The Secret History of Australia's Jazz Age. But interesting story that back in the um, 1930s, uh, or actually 1928 tour, a, an Afro-American jazz band came to Australia, Sonny Clay's Coloured Idea Jazz Band, and it, was, uh, it got here because it couldn't come in. It would be banned under the White Australia law, but they got in as, as theatre performers and apparently had a very successful tour, but then there was a break-in at a, at a party they were having, and there was there were there were these they, they were there with, believe it or not, white women. Zeb, good for God's sake, mm. and the Truth newspaper had a headline: "White girls with Negro lovers," and it was an incredibly racist period yeah. um, in, of our lives. And and people may have seen this uh, report, but. Uh, to sum it up, um, the claim was that there were all sorts of things going on at, you know, terrible sex things, sexual attacks and uh, all the whole thing, when in fact apparently it was very quiet, nothing happened, and it happened that the truth reporter broke in with the police when they broke in. It was a complete setup, and in fact one of the women was a, was a secret police plant. Um, wow. So the whole thing was, in fact, just a total beat-up, but allowed the government then to deport them from Australia. Uh, and it, be, you know, it was just the beginning, or well, not the beginning, but part of the long-term white Australia policy and our treatment of blacks. And interestingly enough, the author um, who, um, who wrote this book, her name is um, O'Connell, um, 
she says that um, the story had modern parallels, such as governments continuing to manufacture race scandals and crises for political yeah. ends, such as the beat-up over African gangs. And I think that's... Um, you know, it's really interesting. Deirdre O'Connell is the woman's name, the author, historian. Yeah. But um, just, you know, just an interesting aspect of Australia. And in many ways, we, we still practice the same sort of things. Yeah, that um, it also reminded me of the the more modern discourse of, like, um, Karens and the fact that white women still have this role as, like, um, yeah, like oppressors especially of of black men in that like there's this I guess this like story told of white women's purity in scare quotes that has to be protected um and yeah it's used very cynically to um to paint black men in a like predatory way so uh it's interesting that that like history of of that um i guess that like rhetorical story that is being used uh is like uh, i don't know has such a a long history yeah unfortunately but uh, well let's hope we let's hope we with modern generations we get over all that and we can we can move on um, speaking of not moving on, unfortunately, the, a bloke, I never heard of him until this week, but a, a bloke called John O'Duniam, D-U-N-I-A-M is how his name is pronounced. He's a senator, a, a government senator, and he's the assistant forestry minister, and he's come out and attacked the Victorian government for the fact that it's locking up timber, for, timber forests, native forests. Um, and you might recall that a couple of years ago, uh, the Victorian government announced it would phase out native logging by 2030. Well, we we argue that's far too long anyway, and it just gives them a carte blanche to keep going till then and cut, knock the forest over. Mm-hmm. But this bloke's most upset that this is this is doing terrible things. He said he said he. Um, the controversial call was a political decision made with no regard for the devastating results for regional families, employment, the environment, and especially science. Now, um, the last two, environment and science, I thought science might suggest that the environment would be destroyed if you chop the trees down, but apparently it's improved if you chop them down, according to him. Mm. Um, and um, he said it would ultimately lead, this is the old story, to Australia having to buy timber products from other countries with lower environmental standards. Well, I would have thought once you chop the tree down, the environmental standards about the same. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's him. So he's he's obviously one of the more progressive thinkers in the in the Liberal government. Uh, Oh and uh, and he, he says the Morrison government's trying to get more timber into the supply chain, but the Labor Party is putting all these barriers up, etc. But there you are. He, yeah, uh, yeah he that, that to... like language of just out outrage and like using using words that will get people get people people's hackles raised can go a long way, even if it is actually completely baseless or is. Um, we're using faulty logic. Yes, and I, I do have trouble working out how chopping down native forests is good for the environment and, and, and scientifically proven or something. That's, but anyway, he's, he, he must know what he's talking about because he's an assistant minister, Zeb. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And this week, of course, we had a visit from the um, South Korean um, Premier, um, Prime Minister, wherever he's called over there, uh, Moon Jae-in. And interestingly enough, the photos of them signing agreements were all with people in khaki uniforms, all trained killers. And everything they signed was billions of dollars more on weapons to kill people. So it seems mm-hmm. that's the... Uh, so you know, we've seen we're going to be talking later about housing and the need for much more public housing, obviously, and the need for money to be spent on all these areas of need in society. And yet, we're spending billions and billions, increasingly, on weapons to kill people. Um, with the the beat up, of course, that Peter Dutton carries on about China at the moment, and uh, so we're spending billions on. Uh, on some new one of the, uh, the armoured personnel carriers, where that's 27 billion. There's a contract going out for that. There's a billion on 30 self-propelled howitzers. That should be a treat for us. 
Uh, but it's just interesting that that the the defence seems to be the the priority everywhere at the moment, as far as government spending is concerned. Yeah, um, it's definitely not on the climate. <laughs> that's for sure. No, well, it, of course, defence defences and American the American military and the military generally are some of the biggest contributors to to climate problems. Anyway, of course, they. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I also saw uh, an article in the Guardian uh, that was saying, well, it was titled Doubts Over Coalition's Net Zero Target as Report Finds Soil Carbon Emissions May Increase as Climate Warms. So um, even the Coalition's meagre um, plan, if you can call it that, of using different ways to suck carbon out of the atmosphere is actually going to backfire. Yes. Yes, that's well. That's that's so. I mean, well, they, and we don't, we know how seriously they're taking it anyway. Of course, they 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 mouth things about their commitment to things, and then they do exactly the opposite in terms of practice, yeah. as we as we see. And yeah. uh, they just try and shout technology over and over again and hope that people calm down somehow because of that. Well, that's right, and uh, we've seen in the last. Um, in fact, the last couple of days, unfortunately, because I was going to raise some issues about workers, but uh, unions sometimes also go the wrong way. The AWU has come out and called for um, uh, called for activists to back off Woodside's Scarborough LNG project. This is the the, 80, the $16 billion project announced a couple of weeks ago to celebrate the Glasgow conference. Of course, they announced the biggest natural gas project in Australia ever, one of the biggest in the world, and they keep claiming that it's part of the transition to, uh, to zero emissions, which is pretty hard to believe. Uh, and the, um, unfortunately, Brad Gandy, who's the the Western Australian branch um, of the AWU said activists were undermining the prospect of up to, this is the usual argument, isn't it, up to 3,200 construction jobs and 600 permanent jobs, as well as a less carbon-intensive energy source critical for the transition to renewables. So apparently the biggest LNG project in the country is part of the transition to renewables. But he said the gas gave, uh, gas gave economies the accuracy to uh, the security to pursue renewables and not that industry won't shut down during the transition. Net zero emissions by 2050 doesn't mean no emissions. It means emissions are offset. Well, we've made that point many times that unfortunately they don't really mean zero emissions when they say zero emissions. And um, he goes on to say that... Uh, he goes on to say that activists should stop talking down a major project that may be one of the last of its kind, I hope so, but is, arguing the transition to renewables needed practical, well-thought-out steps, not knee-jerk reactions in wanting to save the planet. We shouldn't allow environmental extremists to threaten thousands of, of quality West Australian jobs when they actually have no idea what they're talking about. There is no way for the world to just magically switch to renewables and still produce all the elements aluminium and steel and glass that we need. Um, protests had got too much uh, exposure and slogans like there are no jobs on a dead planet undermined what was needed for the bigger picture. So it's, it's pretty worrying. And, um, and in fact, the, uh, a spokesman for the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association said Scarborough would be, bring significant investment to the Pilbara region, including supporting local businesses and manufacturers. Well, that's all that matters, isn't it? Uh, but it's a pity to see the unions coming out. The, and the AWU and the CFMEU have already done a Greenfields agreement with the company for the development of that mine, which is pretty worrying, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, and the thing is that there's there's also so an, another article that I found uh, was from the conversation saying the end of coal is coming three times faster than expected, and governments must accept it and urgently support a just transition. Um, so there's also the angle that like even if these extremist lefty greenies um, don't manage to stop certain minds like renewables are going to take over and people need to figure out uh, how that's going to work. 
Yeah, that's right. That was a report last week from the uh, the Australian uh, market, the energy market operator, uh, and that uh, yeah, that was quite interesting. That it, uh, it 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 said that we could be up to I think seventy nine percent of renewables by twenty thirty, according to that report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we've come up to nine twenty, so uh, we should go to a quick break, um, and then we'll get Shane McGraw on the line to talk about housing. What a good idea, Zed. What a great idea. Good, good, good. The new Climate Action Radio Show will surprise you. Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. Global warming. And so you'll hear voices from all around Australia and overseas that are taking all types of climate action, whether it's stopping coal and gas, whether it's building a new model of society, or whether it's just sustaining you in the grief you may feel about the climate destruction we're facing. And in that spirit, here's a poem by Rumi. Stop, take a breath, for you are drunk, and we are at the edge of the roof. This is coal. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Alrighty, back on City Limits on 3CR, and now we've got Shane McGrath on the line from Housing for the Age Action Group uh, to talk about what's been going on there. Hi Shane, how are you doing? Uh, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so we should also have Kevin still on the line. Are you there, Kevin? <laughs> yes, I'm still here. You? <laughs> all worked, it all worked perfectly. Okay, yeah. Splendid. Thanks, so... Bye. Shane, I've been off housing months um, for a while now. Mm. Uh, so, what's the latest update with you guys? Um, look, I, I guess there probably there's been a lot of news in housing in the last few months. Uh, public housing continues to be, you know, massively underinvested. Uh, the waiting lists continue to blow out. Um, you know, the biggest hag news is probably that we had our volunteers Christmas lunch last week, which was pretty nice, but maybe not what your listeners want to hear about. Oh, it sounds lovely. It was lovely. I mean, if you want to get involved with hag uh, next year, listeners, the, um, the, ex- the volunteers Christmas will be there. Um, hag is, has very good uh, snacks and spreads, as we've talked about on the show before. Yes, and we'll put links to uh, where you can find people on 3cr.org forward slash city limits. So listeners, go there if you want to join that. (laughs) I might, in fact, make myself a volunteer as a volunteer sometime around December next year. Yeah, I mean, the timing sounds right. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, the other thing is uh, this is going to be our last show for the year. So I guess we could kind of try and do a little bit of a wrap-up and also a thank you for coming on um, and bearing with us with a lot of different twists and turns in the last minute, asking you to come on and oh, all, all right. of those things. Always happy to be here. 
I mean, I, I think the big story of the year for us, uh, again, was COVID, the way COVID affected housing and specifically for us older people's housing. Um, last year, while we were critical of a lot of the aspects of the government's response to COVID as it intersected with housing justice, this year there's nothing to say about it. This year the government did not respond to COVID as a, as a housing issue. You know, mm-hmm. The eviction moratorium ended. Uh, new protections were, were not introduced or, uh, you know, new protections for, for people who fell into rent arrears due to COVID and things like that. Uh, the tribunal decided that it was okay, that it was lawful to evict someone for arrears that they accrued during the eviction moratorium. Uh, the Supreme Court did reverse that decision, but only just in time to be too late to actually really help anyone. Right. Um, so I think just a, a series of failures, you know, the, the absence of things like the uh, oh, sorry, there was a big bang. Um, the absence of things like the COVID supplement for unemployment benefits uh, also really hurt older workers this year and made it harder to sustain housing in a lot of cases. Yeah, in fact, there's been a number of stories about the fact that the COVID supplement and, and taking that money off people uh, made the big difference in being able to afford to rent a house and being absolutely unable to afford and, and virtually being out on the street. It's, um, it's a major problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the low rates of welfare in this country are just criminal, really. Yeah, and, you know, the best the opposition has to say about it is that you shouldn't call the pension welfare, as if welfare is a dirty word. Yeah, it's just hopeless. So, sorry for the despairing note in our year-end wrap-up, but it wouldn't be housing like otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> we've got to we've got to go out on a, on a note which makes people feel really really good as usual. Um, <laughs> but uh, I noticed that uh, re- in announcing a, 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 a building um, a number of places for for homeless women, which is a good good project. But the the minister Wynne talked about in, in wonderful terms about everyone's right to housing and everyone should have a right to a roof over their head. But apart from the statement, they they're not doing a lot about it, are they? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a motherhood statement, isn't it? The, the Labor government consistently failed to, to produce public housing in any meaningful sort of quantity or supply. Um, they've closed a bunch of estates. They're, sorry, re, they're redeveloping um, you know, with, with massive uh, boons to, pub, to private investors. The, uh, the, government, the state government's record on public housing is just dismal, as, of course, is state opposition's. So I guess the the other thing that we can talk about is, I don't know if you can sort of look into an imaginary crystal ball or if you have any ideas uh, on on this kind of area, but do you have any predictions for like how things are going to go next year, either COVID related or just like what the general trend is probably going to be? Well, look, I, I mean, I think that the, the bosses and landlords will continue to try and push people into to homelessness and poverty. But I think, you know, I probably said the same thing last year, maybe even the year before. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are really encouraging signs that housing justice is becoming a political issue, that, you know, organisations like, uh, you know, Friends of Public Housing, the Renters and Housing Union uh, are doing really good work in putting these issues on the agenda, campaigning around them, organising around them and mobilising people to demand something different. You know, I think we have left the era when politicians could pretty much ignore rental housing because nobody would, nobody cared about enough to vote on it. Uh, housing, The housing crisis is at the front and centre of our politics now uh, in a really big way. And it intersects with other like crucial, uh, unavoidable issues like climate change, um, which mm-hmm. you know, is going to pile up with with housing issues more and more in the years to come. Um, there was a pretty great article in The Guardian recently about uh, the sort of outer suburbs of Melbourne that we're seeing more and more, that that's where the quote-unquote affordable housing is, the, the, the housing that people can afford to rent. But once they get there, there's no infrastructure. Uh, the environmental effects of that suburb is very, very poor. Um, you know, the, the costs associated with living there and having to commute to get to any sort of you know, services or shops or workplaces or anything uh, eats up the supposed saving in the quote-unquote affordable housing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's one of all those of these issues. Yeah, one of those cyclical things where, when the developments do start coming in in that area, then it just sparks gentrification and then pushes the, the housing prices go up, and then it just mm-hmm. gets like 
wider and wider, right? Yeah. And, uh, we all just keep getting pushed back and forth around the suburbs until, <laughs> I don't know what, until, until we well, rise it, up and take it back. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, with with the difficulty of people getting uh, being able to afford housing now, and particularly, they keep saying it's it's the young and um, young and the poor, as if it's a real surprise that they're the ones who are having most trouble getting into housing. But this has led to a boom in what's been called build to rent, as you know, um, Shane. And I noticed that Macquarie Bank, which is one of the biggest banks in the world, let alone Australia. Um, has said it's going to, going to invest um, 500 million in the next few years, and it's going to build 4,000 build build to rent units. None of which will be affordable, of course, for anyone mm-hmm. on a, even a reasonable income. But it's interesting that a private company can come up with 4,000 units over a couple of years, when a government should be doing the same thing in terms of providing public housing. Yeah, I mean, there was a really great uh, article up on the Overland website that I would really recommend to people who are interested in these issues. Uh, it's called Vulture Landlords and the Justice Washing of Housing Struggle. It's a great title um, mm-hmm. by David Kelly, Kate Shaw and Libby Porter, who we've had on our radio show a few times. Yep. Um, uh, and it's kind of a great case study of the history of, of activist groups in St Kilda when that was a working class suburb, uh, the way they pushed for housing justice, and the way that the, the organisations they built have you know, gr- gradually become sort of co-opted, if I can put it like that. And are now, you know, more or less money laundering for big corporations uh, in these build to rent schemes. So I think it, it is a really great article with lots of colourful detail uh, if people want to check that out. Well, we'll follow up because we're actually showing how organised we are. We're planning to have Kate Shaw on the next housing program, the first housing program next year. Oh, um, she was supposed to come on last week, but I got crook and we couldn't, didn't have her, so we've put it off yeah. till next year now. But uh, so Kate and Kate, of course, was heavily involved in Safe St Kilda in its original days. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. And at housing for the aged, I mean, you've, you've got to have breaks yourself. But over the break, I mean, people can get into trouble with housing issues. Is there, is there some sort of service available to people over the break if they need it? Uh, yeah, so I think that there'll be like a skeleton staff on at HAG over the break, um, so people can still call us and get in touch if they need to. Um, I think that's probably the case at most of the, the housing services that are around. Good, and they, so they can call that, that regular HAG number. Uh, yep. I, I believe I don't want to commit to this because I'm honestly not sure, but I think that's true. <laughs> Call the HAG number. We'll at least have another number on, on the message bank that you can call back if you need urgent assistance. But I, I think someone will get back to you, but I can't promise. Yeah, all right. Uh, just another issue that's been raised, the Grattan Institute's raised the idea of we need extra money and extra staff um, for the Live at Home program that the government has, the home care, and they say the waiting times need to be much shorter uh, and there need to be more funds and, and, and better, and, and staff need to be better, better paid and better treated. Um, your comment on that, and are people having to wait inordinately long times to get, get programs for themselves? Yeah, I think in a lot of cases that is really true. Uh, I, I think to an extent it depends on where you live, like lots of other kinds of infrastructure. But yeah, the, the, the waiting times can be really exorbitant and can push people into premature sort of residential care um, that they wouldn't otherwise need. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, sort of related to that, uh, I heard a story a while back, I think it was actually um, a sort of UK story, but someone had um, got their mother age into a, an aged care service, but in Thailand, because it was cheaper than finding a place in the UK. And apparently it's a thing that there's like... Um, outsourcing of aged care to other countries and I, I wonder whether that was happening at all in Australia? Um, you're right. I mean, I, I haven't really heard of anything like that happening here. We, we still have a, a somewhat functional like public aged care system, um, you know, which we did see uh, back in the early days of the Victorian uh, COVID pandemic last year when mm-hmm. private uh, private residential aged care was was just this, like, you know, what do you call it, like uh, massive outbreaks happening everywhere, uh, very poor standards for health and safety, whereas the state-run residential care facilities were doing much better. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're we're lucky to have a a still somewhat functional residential care sector. Mm 
Yeah, well, on that, that's that's partly thanks to activism and and work from people like you. Um, so we need to go soon, but I just want to thank you again um, for what you're doing and also coming on the show and looking forward to talking again next year. All right, well, thanks very much. It's been great coming on here, getting to have my little rant every month or so. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks you as well. Okay, Shane, look, thanks for all your help. It's been a wonderful year. Thanks, Shane. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. All right, and uh, now we're going to go to a quick song. Um, It's Sudana Lamine Sonko by Jack Quiet, and they are a 3CR broadcaster. Um, The show is Ubuntu Voices on Wednesdays, 8.30 to 9.30, so um, definitely check that out. So let's have a listen. Ya sudana Ya sudana Ya sudana sudana Ya sudana Ya sudana
like hello. You know, all stories may, may be important, but at the end of the day, Invasion Day, you can't compare that to the First Fleet because Invasion Day was the start of the dispossession, murder, massacres and the total annihilation of some people on a continent that had existed since time immemorial. So Scott Morrison, if he really wants to leave this country, he needs to shut his mouth in regards to those comments and really understand that Australia Day cannot be celebrated. It is a day of mourning for our people and they would not celebrate the Holocaust. You know, so I don't understand how that is any different than what our people went through because the genocide continues today. Like, Scott Morrison really needs to take a step back and listen to the voices on the ground because he's really ignorant in my view. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. A proud black man proud black man you should not wonder Strong spirit First Nations issues families, people and stories from a First Nations perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Proud black man Proud black man It should not wonder To enable change we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website. Representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at Streets Dash alive dash yarra dot org. A three CR supporter. All right, back on city limits, and we should have everyone on the line now. Hi, are people there? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> right. Uh, hi, Jessica. That's Jessica Harrison. Kevin, are you there? I'm here, definitely here. Yeah. Awesome. And Jack Verdon's, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, absolutely, in person. Amazing, uh, we did it. I've just realised, Seb, also, I'm sitting at home, it's inadvertent, but I'm sitting at home, I've realised I'm actually wearing a 3CR T-shirt as well, which I'm sure will make listeners feel very excited. Yes, and listeners can get them uh, themselves if they go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Pretty sure somehow my memory has gone faulty and I can't remember whether it's whether there's a .au at the end. But. Well, well sequoed into a plug anyway. But um, <laughs> look, Jessica and Jack, um, you both, or Jessica, last time we spoke to you a month ago, you talked about the meeting coming up in Wontaggi about public housing. Um, how did it go? I know, Jack, you went down there as well. Um, yeah, well, it went very well. I mean, the main thing we wanted to do was make a bit of an impact by having good numbers there. And we had 70 people, which... It's really good going and considering, I don't know, you know, there's a few other things on the go for everyone. And so we had a guy outside who towed along a tiny home just to add extra flavour. And then we had all our speakers. Usually when you run a panel, one person can't make it, but everyone was there, so that was good. Um, We had Jordan, the local ALP lady, speaking. Um, 
unfortunately she wasn't able to answer all the questions that were asked of her, such as the number of public housing um, that, um, um, accommodation that there is in the, in Bass Coast, etc. But she did a little bit of a plug really for the, like, the statewide big build. And then we had um, the local, the mayor, the new mayor, and then we had a lot of feisty questions um, from the audience. Um, and then we also had all of our group, Housing Matters, introduced ourselves and said why we were passionate about the issue. Then we had coordinators of two of the local community centres, and one in particular, Greg Thompson. He's from um, Phillip Island, and he had a really comprehensive explanation about how, you know, the, basically the economic uncertainty meant that, for example, at a certain point when they lifted the moratorium on rent arrears, they, he suddenly had all these people waiting at, his, at the front door of the community house that, um, at, you know, right on when they opened. So it really was affecting me. These sort of decisions, good and bad, that are made actually have a, a material effect on people's lives. Mm. Yeah, and Jack, um, what was your impression of the meeting? Well, absolutely well organised by Jessica. And I think the, the, the biggest impact I had for me was the uh, the people that Jessica had on to testify about the real problem. And, you know, the, you know, one thing, so there is a lot of homelessness there. There are kids going to school unfed. They're, they've been sleeping the night in a doorway with their mum. I mean, this is really, you know, heart-sobbing, crying-out-loud type problems. And... And it's ordinary people. So everyone who's listening there today, you could be one of these tomorrow because the rug could be pulled out from under you in terms of your financial security, your ability to have a home or a roof over your head. And it's, it's things like you've been renting for years and the landlord goes and sells under your feet. And all of a sudden you've got to find a new rental. Guess what? Rentals have all gone up. You can't afford it. There's no public housing. What do you do? You sleep in a doorway. And there, there were so many stories like that, which was in total contrast to what the politicians said, which was like they just, they just spouted policy. And I don't even know if, if, Jesse, if, if Jordan, the local member, even really understood the, the, the problem of public housing and what the Labor government's doing, which is it's not building any public housing. And it's also, yep. it's also a pittance. There's only $25 million going to Bass Coast, and I think there were about 700-odd people on the waiting list. Yep, and we also were calling for annual funding, an annual funding boost from the state government, which didn't really get addressed. And because that's, as you said, that's only just the tip. If they, they think that, we think that might build only around 50 houses. Yep. And, of course... Um, there's also a need for emergency accommodation. We had the story about someone who was homeless, got onto the Salvos, who are the emergency care provider in Bass Coast, and they ended up putting them in a taxi to send them to St Kilda, and they had the night in St Kilda, and then they were back homeless the next night, the next day. So that's the kind of stuff that happens down here. Yeah, true story, yeah. And, of course, there's two factors at the moment. There's the, the, the lifting of the um, the COVID bonus uh, means that people have been reduced to poverty and simply can't afford rent anyway. And with the move during COVID of a lot of people into the bush, into country areas, of course, rents there are, are soaring as well. So you've got those two factors uh, coming together. I was on another radio um um, program a few months ago with the Unemployed Workers Union and they said, yeah, people are camping along the Murray as well. And yeah. I was giving out leaflets about another one of my projects on Sunday, gave it to a guy It's about trying to get help with your electricity bill and so on. He said, oh, I'm a squatter. <laughs> so mm. that was sort of interesting. And mm. um, coincidentally, the woman who was on the stall said, oh, yes, I used to squat in Brunswick. She said, the Catholic, she was working with a Catholic priest and he said, oh, there's an empty house there, why don't you go and live there? <laughs> Just it was very coincidental because I've been a squatter to have three different people all with this, sort of that connection, yeah, for a few yeah. moments, for a fleeting moment. <laughs> yeah, well, and we're not raving old leftists here. I mean, this, now we've actually got a supposedly so-called left-wing government which is really mm. ignoring the fight of social welfare. 
I actually call it an economic apartheid because, like the guy Philip Island said, who run ran the community centre there, uh, the, the people have now stopped coming, so they've actually left the area, which is sad because it might be where they've grown up and they lived all their lives, so they've had to leave because of economic circumstances. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the coast is too trendy. Heavens knows where they've gone. I think anecdotally there was, you know, some people had moved to Maui. Because that was probably yeah. the cheapest rentals. Yeah. And people also moved to Yarram, which is a really out-of-the-way place um, past the proms, so south of Sales. But, yes, yeah, since the meeting also, we've had a bit of pushback, unfortunately, in the Phillip Island news, local newspaper, where on their Facebook page they were getting people carrying on about about the crime rate, etc. if public housing was built in cows. But then since then, a nice young reporter got on to me and I gave her a few juicy quotes, and that's in on the front page of the um, Philip Island paper this week. I just, um, sh- I just said, look, that a typical homeless person is often a, a woman um, over 50, and, you know, they're not known for their tendency to crime sprees, but I'm sure that if anyone... Um, does the wrong thing, whether they're a renter, an owner, or a visitor, they'll be dealt with. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll be interested to see if that gets pushed back. We did have a couple of people who said under their breath as they came in, oh, we're coming in, we don't want the riffraff. But they yeah. were actually, they didn't speak up in the meeting. Apparently they had a bit of a whinge outside, so, yeah. Yeah, you've got to watch those riffraff, unfortunately, in this society. But anyway, uh, just speaking of non-riffraff, um, I mentioned to Shane earlier in the program, Shane McGrath, um, Macquarie Bank has announced, because of, because of course, the difficulty in people getting into their home, into buying a home these days, um, build to rents become one of the big investment things for the big banks and the big companies, and they're planning to build, spend 500 million building 4,000 units for build to rent, but none of which, of course, will be affordable by anyone with anything remotely, um, remotely like welfare. Um, but here we have a private company prepared to build 4,000 units build mm-hmm. to rent, while government should be providing this surely for public housing. Mm-hmm. Well, not yeah. only that, uh, but the, the people who are doing this investment are also getting government kickbacks to do it. So the government's actually spending money on people who can afford higher rental housing, uh, yet more economic apartheid. Mm. And, you know, thanks to Defend and Extend um, Public Housing, we are now fully across all the different types of housing and we are pushing for the public housing model. Whether we'll get it is another thing. You know, the 25% mandated of your income and yeah. security of tenure and so on. But I, I think, I don't know what will happen. I mean, things happen out of the blue. Like suddenly the council said they were going to give these road reserves over to to the big housing build. And um, it, that really wound up some of the locals and uh, some of the land's not suitable anyway because it's swampy. Um, so it means that we're really going to have our work cut out for us next year to try and influence the building that happens to try and make it the best possible and as close as possible to the public housing model as we can get. Yeah, that's what you've got to do. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, the local MP, Jordan, she does get um, people coming in who are in desperate situations, but basically she comes out with the party line, which is that, um, oh, well, we're doing this public housing. Well, that's not going to near do anything, really. Yeah, well, I actually feel very sorry for her because you know, she was spouting the, the company line and couldn't answer the question how much public housing is involved was that there is none. And, you know, as as the member for the party, they're not allowed to deviate from the message. Mm, that's and, right. And the salvos yeah. were nervous about coming because they didn't want to talk to the media and they thought the media might be there and they aren't also mm-hmm. able to speak plainly about, the you know, what they yeah. go through. But we hear anecdotally yeah. about I've it. Yeah, I've actually spoken to Labor, Labor Party branch meetings where I've actually explained what's going on. And I've got to say, the, the grassroots members didn't realise that social housing was not public housing. Mm, so they, they yeah. thought their, their, their political party had a social conscience and was doing the right thing. And they were absolutely shocked to realise, hang on, we've been building a whole lot of community housing over the last 10 years. We've mm. been, uh, public housing stagnant. 
and they've all gone, right, we're going to take on the party. Now, I know that the, the Labor Party actually did have an internal group that was going to address this, but then again, you yeah. talk about factions, and I believe the faction that was supporting community housing, for whatever reason, ended up becoming the conveners of that group. So, yet again, that opportunity was lost. Right. Well, that might have been Labor for Housing. Yeah, Because that's that it. was talked about to mm. us, yeah. Because we were raising the whole thorny yep. issue about private developments and how they should be somehow forced to put some um, money into a public housing if they mm. make a big wad of cash out of out of a development. Yeah. And they said, oh, that the the local MP said, oh, it's a state government issue. You should get onto Labor for Housing. Yeah. And one of one of the MPs actually got up in got up in Parliament and asked the question. And so, you know, we mm. thought we were on a bit of a bit of a run mm. there with, with the Labor Party as well, becoming aware that obviously other forces have managed to stifle that, even within mm. the party. Mm. Yeah, look, we're running out of time, unfortunately, but um, Jess, in terms of where you go from here and how do you get the public housing, mm. after the meeting, what's the next step? OK, so we've already got our next meeting planned for February, and what we're going to do is try and get a lot more people involved in our groups and as we talked about earlier this year set up some working groups we've also got a review of the planning scheme in Bass Coast and that's where the council can't pass the buck to the state government they have to actually make it possible for people to you know say build a variety of types of development which could actually include um, houses that people can afford that's one thing and we'll just keep on plugging and we'll keep on defending really as um the public housing that we do have here. All right. Good luck with it all. Okay. Thank you. And thanks for coming on. We'll get you on again next year and uh, keep the thing going. And Jack, thanks again for um, coming on again this month. And you've been, um, you know, you've been with us most of the year. So, um, so we look forward to talking to you again next year. Absolutely. It's a worthwhile cause. <laughs> okay. Look, thanks very much. Thanks to Jess Harrison and to, and to Jack for um, for their contributions. And let's hope, uh, let's hope uh, public housing in Montague becomes, and it's real genuine public housing, 25% of your income paid on rent. That's what you really want. Okay, thanks yeah. a lot. And look, we're, Zeb, we're, um, we're winding up for the year. Yes, we are. And just before we finished, I wanted to thank you, Kevin, um, for coming on today, despite being ill, but also just for being at the staunch backbone of city limits, for being so verbose and waxing lyrical about, you know, the Herald Sun and whatnot. And uh, it's been a pleasure um, doing radio with you this year. So. Well, and, and ditto with you, Zeb, and I think we want to, you know, thank, well, thank ourselves, but also I'd <laughs> like to, I think we should thank uh, the three, the three CR staff who've over the whole COVID thing now for almost two years have kept the show on air, um, under very, very difficult circumstances. A lot of the time we've been re- pre-recording, of course. And I think we special thanks to Karina, who's really Yay. been, I think, absolutely wonderful yes. in terms of city limits and, uh, and she's, she even tries to organise me and sometimes actually does. <laughs> in, t- in terms of the program, but I think a particular thanks to Karina, who's just been, I think, wonderful in terms of helping out on this program. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Karina's the best. And also, Meg, hello if you're listening. Thanks, Meg. Meg. Uh, and Meg's going to be back on the second um, Wednesday of the Energy Day next uh, in February, because we, we're, we're, our first program now will be the first Wednesday in February. Yeah, so... Stay tuned. Don't go away, listeners. Thank you, listeners, as well, for making, you know, the the show, like, um, you know, without you, there would be no point in doing it. Um, And, yeah, we better go. That's it. Anything else to say, Kevin? No? No, that's it. That's it. I'm (laughs) finished for the year. (laughs) See you next year. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.